Guess where we're going to turn today? Guess. Wrong. <laughs> Suckers. Uh, we're going to Habakkuk. All right? I know. Super cliche. Habakkuk. Um, it's in the, uh, toward the end of the Old Testament, kind of probably in the middle-ish of the Bible. Um, and here's why we're going to Habakkuk. Uh, I have been, much like you guys, um, probably uh, most Americans, thinking about this next week for a long time, wondering what it's going to be like, what's going to happen. And um, after all of this waiting, now we're kind of here, right? We're on the cusp. And um, been praying about what what we need to to do as a church, as far as a, like what does today need to look like specifically? What is the Sunday before an election supposed to look like? What is the Sunday after the election supposed to look like? And uh, the Lord brought me to Habakkuk, and uh, it seems kind of random. And hopefully, by the time we're done, it will seem slightly less random. Um, the reason why is uh, it, it, I think it fits is because uh, we haven't really. Um, well, it seems like things have morphed a little bit. Uh, for so long, it was the the conversation about the presidential election was uh, centered around candidates and who to vote for and and how to navigate conversations leading up to it. But now that we're here, it seems like uh, like another vibe has emerged, and it's one of uh, anxiety. Right, fear and worry, uh, all those, all those negative friends that kind of can kind of pile up on us sometimes because uh, we're being told by uh, all the media outlets and everything else that that you should be terrified of a certain outcome, right? And and one side says it about the other side, one network says it about the other network, but they're always saying, man, if the other guys win. Uh, we're going to have all these, uh, here's the list of all the things that are going to happen. And it's hard for that to not get into you and I a little bit. And so when you talk to people, it's kind of like, it's finally here. You know, we're kind of nervous, kind of whatever it may be. And we stand on the cusp of a week that's going to be one that we'll never forget, probably. Um, and so I think that the book of Habakkuk fits in really well. And, and here's, here's why. Uh, Habakkuk was a, a prophet, and uh, he was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Israel. And at the time, uh, things in Israel were not, were not looking good at all. Uh, and so this book is really just, it's just a dialogue. This isn't one of the, you know, sometimes with the prophets in the Old Testament, you have them addressing Israel as a group. Well, this is really just, it's Habakkuk and God talking back and forth. It's three chapters. And so I'm going to do my best to get us from the start to the finish of the book. Um, and the idea is not necessarily to like do a deep dive study into the book of Habakkuk, but more, what does he go through that can maybe help us today and also in the week ahead. So let's read it together. Um, so we're not going to read every verse of all three chapters. I'll kind of do some flyover type stuff. But by the end, you'll see what we're talking about. So here we go. Verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence and you will not save Uh, why do you idly look at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise 
So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Okay, so that's, that's Habakkuk talking to God. And we can, we can learn some things that, from him that are also confirmed through all the other Old Testament studies. Is that at this point in Israel's history, life in Israel was not good. Um, it was filled with idolatry. And so they were worshiping gods, other, uh, they were worshiping false gods, uh, but they're uh, other, than, uh, other than the one God, the one true God. And so they were caught up in these lies, giving themselves in worship and devotion to these false gods. And um, injustice was everywhere. And most of the time for them, that looked like the, the powerful, wealthy folks pushing the poor and not powerful folks to the side. And so injustice was prevailing in Israel. So you had idolatry and injustice, which are two big themes all throughout the Old Testament of why Israel just couldn't get its act together. Um, then you also had, uh, you had the kingdom of Babylon that was organizing and about to invade the southern kingdom of Israel, and everybody knew it. And so they're kind of like, any day now, uh, we're going to hear the, the thundering herd of that army charging toward us, and they're going to wipe us out. And so they were kind of in this like political, social, like religious, everything is terrible kind of deal. And Habakkuk is expressing that to the Lord. And so, first of all, let me, let me say this very, very plainly. We, we cannot take Israel and replace it with America. That happens a lot, and uh, it shouldn't. Um, those are they're not they're not interchangeable. We have to be very careful about that. So I'm not saying that what's happening to Israel is happening to us. I'm not going to like assign characters. I'm not going to tell you who the Babylonians are. You know, so someone asked me afterwards. So the Babylonians, Republicans, or the Democrats? You know, I was like, uh, uh phone call. <laughs> um, that's not at all what's happening here. Not what's being said. Uh, so they're not apples to apples in comparison. But if you think about what's going on there, you think about injustice, you think about uh, leaders that are corrupt, you think about the powerful um, pushing to the side the powerless, uh, you think about idolatry, um, you think about, he says that the law is ineffective, like the law of Moses, no one's following it. If you think about the, the church's voice is kind of lost, you know, right now, there, there are, are some similarities to what we're going through. Um, and for Habakkuk, the reason, like, you get to the bottom line of what he's saying there is he's coming before God and he's saying, look, everything is terrible and I don't see you doing much about it. And I'm not bringing that statement to the present context in America of saying God's not at work, but... But there are times when I feel like all of us look around at what's happening and it's hard to see him, you know, um, it's, it's easy to kind of get cloudy in that stuff. And so these are not the same kinds of situations, but, uh, just for the sake of learning from Habakkuk, uh, let's say that we and he are both in a situation where the political scene and the uh, spiritual life of the people, um, those, both of those things are kind of in question. And he is filled with what I would call angst. And I think that's a good word for us right now, too. I feel like America is in, just full of angst.
um, as we go into this election. And so the, what we see in those verses is that ha, uh, Habakkuk decides, hey, I'm going to talk to the Lord about this. And so there are six takeaways from, from this for us today, if you're taking notes. And that's the first one, is that we have to talk about our angst with the Lord. We're great at talking about it with each other, right? It's, it's easy to strike up a conversation. Um, I, uh, yeah, let's just say it. It's very easy to do that. You don't even have to try. And sometimes you regret, you regret getting into a conversation because it goes there uh, and all that kind of stuff. But we're great at talking to one another. We have all this information. There's all kinds of things that are in maybe like a horizontal sense that are, are being communicated. And for us as Christians, we have to take that uh, and we have to take that into the vertical, you know, that the things that you're feeling, the frustration, the fear, the worry, the whatever, whatever is going on, you got to talk to God about it. That's what Habakkuk does. And in one sense, it kind of seems like he's maybe, maybe disrespectful. And the more we read, you'll see that that's not really what's going on, but he's, he's really just being honest with God. I know there's a thin line there, you know, and I think about, I think our parents would agree like, yes, there's a thin line between being a kid, being honest and a kid being disrespectful. Um, but he's just coming to the Lord and he's saying, this is what I see. And then yet what I don't see is you doing stuff about it. And I don't understand that. I don't know how those things can happen. And so the first thing would be, um, if, if you have not been praying, you need to start praying. You need to bring that to the Lord. And if you have been, I want to encourage you to continue to do that and to resist the how easy it is to live by what we are seeing and feeling uh, instead of by the faith that we have. Um, so that's the first thing, is we have to talk to God about our angst. So, uh, oh yeah, this is a good point. I, should, I don't want to skip over this one. In 1 Peter 5... Six and seven, he says this. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So it, if you, if you, uh, if something's bothering you, he cares about it. It's just that simple. If it bothers you, it bothers him. If it worries you, it doesn't worry him, but he wants to tend to you because he cares for you. And so for us as his people, especially as we head into this week, we have to be, we have to be very steadily casting our anxieties upon him. Um, so look at verse five. This is, so God responds to him, uh, which is always nice uh, when God responds in a way that is clear. So let's look just at, just at verse five. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He's like, almost like he's saying like, hey, uh, you, you're, you got blinders on and your head's buried. And you're, looking, you're looking at one foot in front of you. Take the blinders off. Look around you. There's a big, there's, there's a big global thing happening. So yes, I'm aware of the injustice. I'm aware of the idolatry. I'm, I'm aware of all these things. And notice he says, for I am doing a work in your days. So I'm doing a work. You wouldn't even believe it. If I told you, you're going to find a way to poke holes in it. If I were to explain it to you, 
But you need to know that I'm at work. And that's the second takeaway, is that God, God is at work. That what, whatever happens over the next week, uh, we may not understand it, we may not like it, um, we may not be able to comprehend how God can coexist within whatever, whatever the plot looks like going forward for America. We may like do our very best to, um, to put all of our skepticism and cynicism and all of those things to work and find a way to negate the fact that God is in this. But at the end of the day, none of those things rule out the fact that God is at work. It doesn't matter if I understand it. It doesn't matter if I like it. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter in, in terms of stopping God from being at work among us. And then look at verse 6. It says, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's, that's another name for Babylonians. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth. To seize dwellings not their own. And then he goes on from 7 through 12 to talk about how terrible the Babylonians are. God says, verse 6, before he goes into all that description, I'm raising them up. That's why he says, I'm doing a work in your day that you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. It doesn't It doesn't compute. Why would, why would God's action be to bring in a terrible nation and let them invade? That doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. How would God use a terrible nation to, to correct injustice and to shatter idolatry? You know? how, would, how, how do those things make, It just doesn't really make sense. And so Habakkuk, in verse 12... Um, responds to God's response. And so we see the dialogue continue. Verse 12, are, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And then for, from 14 through 17, he just keeps elaborating on this. So he starts off and he's like, he's essentially in, in 12, he's like telling God who he is, all these incredible things about God. And then he says, so how can a God that looks like that, how can my Holy One use... The evil traitors like Babylon. How can God be within something that is so corrupt? That's what he's saying. And you know, I feel like we've all wondered that at some point in our lives. You know, like we see the evils of our world. Um, I'm not just talking like I'm talking like politicals. I'm talking about across the board. We see all these terrible things and we're like, how in the world... Um, how can a good God coexist with that? Where was God in that moment? Where's the omnipresent, omniscient, omnibenevolent God in this moment? We've all, we've all wondered that, right? And granted, that's a, that's a massive sermon series for another day, not today. We're not answering that today. 
So what Habakkuk is asking, I feel like, is not a unique part of the human experience. And the truth is, if he's asking, how can you, how can you use someone even worse than Israel to correct what's wrong with Israel? The answer is, God can do whatever he wants. That's the answer. And, uh, which takes me to the third takeaway, is that God is the boss. That is, that's what he is telling Habakkuk. Habakkuk brings, brings this complaint to the Lord, and the Lord says, well, um, I hear you. And actually, uh, I am doing something about it, but you're not going to like the approach that I take. I'm going to do something um, that you're, you're not going to understand it, and you're going to think that it's really dark and evil. But the truth is, uh, I am the boss of this whole operation. So who is the clay to question the potter? Right? Who, me with, a, with my finite little brain, who am I to question the one who sees the end from the beginning? Who one day is as a thousand days to him? Who is infinite in every attribute? Who am I to come to him and say, you don't know what you're doing. I can't believe you let that election go this way or that way. I can't believe the aftershocks of what, uh, how everyone is receiving that. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Who am I to shake my fist at the boss? Now, I'm not trying to say like we shouldn't ask questions. We shouldn't. I just talked about praying, bring our angst to him and all that. All that stuff is fine. But there has to be this understanding and this recognition of who is in charge of all this. Because maybe he's working with more information than we are. And so we can look at the different outcomes of the presidential election and we can run all kinds of scenarios. And, and like I said, we have all those voices coming at us and they're saying, oh, if this, if this team wins, then this is going to happen. If this team wins, you know, you should be shaking in your boots. You know, and there, there's all this, all this angst that's going on and it gets in there with us. And it's very easy to forget that according to Romans 13 and basically the entire Bible, nothing happens outside of the oversight of God. And so some are going to want to say, well, he's, he causes everything to happen. And others will say, well, he kind of more like allows things to happen. And we can argue about that. And people have done it for a long time and they'll continue to argue. Um, that argument is all happening under the, under this umbrella that God's like, Hey, I see it all. God's not like surprised. He's like, Whoa, that one got away from me. You know, like that nothing that happens over the next week is happening apart from his oversight and his watch. And that's not going to make sense at some point. You know, We're going to have those moments where we're like, I don't, I don't know, I understand how these things jive. And he's like, it's okay, you don't have to, because I do. But, th- but think, think about that for a second. You don't have to understand it all, because he does understand it all. It's, it's us recognizing our place in all this. And as much as we, especially here at Living Hope, we, we talk a lot about identity and a lot about being made in the image of God and, and being sons and daughters and, and him inviting us in to rule creation for eternity. All of those things are so important and so good. But at the end of the day, remember that his ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. We're not equal with him in that way. 
And so this week is a chance for us to put our theology to the test. And so no matter the outcome and no matter how our culture and our country reacts to that, um, we're going to navigate our way through that. And there, you, whether you love it or hate it or feel grieved over it or you're celebrating, I, all those things can happen at a certain level. But at this greater level, there has to be this belief that God is moving the story forward. That somehow he is using all this and working it all together. So, let's look at Habakkuk 2. So Habakkuk had his first complaint and God responded. And then now he has this second complaint. And here's the Lord's response. Look at verse 2. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What does all that mean? He's like, look, you need to write this down because this story that's about to unfold, it's going to take longer than you want it to take. And as impatient as we can all be, we're going to need some things written down that remind us, oh yeah, there's something greater happening in this moment. And so as we wait, how are we supposed to wait? Here's verse four. Um, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So he's contrasting two things. The first is, uh, is the pride and the arrogance that comes with, with idolatry and with um, injustice and with all, all of those things. So um, this, all the scholars debate on whether the, who he's talking about in the first part of verse four, that could be King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, or it could be all the Babylonians, or it could be the, the leaders of Israel who are letting injustice and idolatry happen, or it could just be like prideful people in general. We don't really know. So let's just, that's the contrast. Here's, here's prideful arrogance and what it looks like. Um, it's puffed up and nothing is upright internally. It says, but the righteous... The righteous will do what? Live by his faith. That that's how the righteous are to wait for this story to unfold. Because if you were to read uh, 5 through 20, God describes how he's going to correct all these things. He brings uh, in the form of five woes, like W-O-E. Five woes, and he addresses. This is how I'm, this is what I'm going to do with with those who are responsible for injustice. This is what I'm going to do with those who are responsible. He addresses slave labor um, for those uh, who are abusing alcohol and for those who are perpetuating idolatry. He's that's what he has him write down. He says, "Look, this is the story that's going to unfold." It's going to take a while. And so as you are waiting for this to happen, the righteous need to wait and to live by their faith. So guess what the fourth takeaway is? Live by faith. That that's what we have to do. That as the story of God unfolds, we are not living by our sight and our feelings. We are living by our trust that God is the boss who's telling the story. Because the things that we will see in the next week and beyond and feel in the next week and beyond, 
Uh, there's liable to be all, all kinds of things. A lot of you have lived through presidential elections before. They're all kind of weird and tense. And there's, like, it's just kind of like this. Uh, now, this one might be more heightened than things that most of us have seen. But, like, this is just kind of how it happens. Like, God has gone through this before, in other words. He has all of human history that he has walked through. Every sort of leadership thing that has ever happened This is not new to him. And he operates outside of linear time, so he can also see everything that's going to happen. And so he's just the perfect one uh, to guide us through it. And so we have to live by what, by our faith and our theology and what we believe to be true, and not by what we're seeing and hearing and feeling and, and those kinds of things. They have to be in different categories for us. Which is not to say that nothing that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wins the election. It doesn't matter how people respond. I'm not saying like those things matter. They just have to matter in the right ways to us. So we have to live by faith. So do you do you think that God is doing something, or do you not think He's doing something? Do you do you think that God is good, or do you think God is not good? Do you think that that the story God is writing is one where He wins or one that He loses? Do you think that the outcome of this presidential election will deter the plans of God that are being brought about through the reign of Christ? No, but really, like, I'm not asking you to respond, but like, think about it. Do you think that this election changes what God is doing through Christ? It doesn't. It just doesn't. Is it important? Yes. People's lives are affected. There's so many ways that it's important. It's just not important on the level that sometimes our feelings and our thoughts want to take it to. And so we live by faith and not by sight. Uh, In Hebrews 12, verse 28, God tells us this. He says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That we're part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. Between now and next Sunday when we're together, no matter what happens, there will be zero shaking of the kingdom of God. Like the seismograph will not move. So we can gather next week and we're going to next week we'll be like, man, either that was great or that was terrible or, you know, who knows what next Sunday is going to be like. But I tell you what will be the exact same about our gathering next week and today is the reason we're together and the God that we sing to. And we will not be in panic mode and God will not be in panic mode. And there is no war room where he's trying to re-strategize. None of that stuff is going to happen. And so we have to have that order that God is giving to Habakkuk, and I believe also passing to us. The righteous will live by faith. This week is a chance for us to live by faith and not by sight, and to put our theology into action. Now, verse 3. Sorry, chapter 3. Habakkuk has said... God, why aren't you doing stuff about this? God says, I am, but you're not going to like it. And Habakkuk says, "Uh, you're right, I don't like it. Um, And God's like, "Uh, well, let me tell you the long-term vision. And then Habakkuk, kind of like there's a morphing that happens over this this book. Starts off full of angst. And then we get to chapter 3, look at verse 2. It says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. And and your work, O Lord, do I fear. And by fear, he means respect. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
Say, I've, I've heard of your fame. I've heard of your works. I've, I've heard of your mercy. I have heard of, of the, the stories of what you have done for our people. Would you revive it again? Would you do it again? That's the fifth takeaway. Is we have to pray in line with our faith. Like we have to ask God to do the things that we know he can do and will do. We're not praying separate from our beliefs and our theology. We're praying where there's, those things are consistent. And so he's saying, God, I, I know what you have done. Will you do it again in my day? If you were to continue to read uh, 3 through 16, his biggest point of reference is what we see a lot of the prophets going back to, which is, which is the Exodus. When God freed his people from bondage and led them through the Red Sea, parting the waters, they crossed on dry land, um, which is the beginning of them taking, uh, like going into the land of promise. And so he sees this and he's recalling this. This is his point of reference. And he's saying, I know that you did this. Will you do it again? And that's such a pattern with the people of God. We're saying we have a Bible full of all these things that we've seen you do. And we have a human history. We have our own experience. We, we know that you have led your people through stuff like this before. Would you do it this week? Would you just guide us, guide us along? There's a path of righteousness that goes from today to next Sunday, let's say. And let's not worry about past next Sunday. Let's just say, here next Sunday, there is a path of righteousness that he has gone down before and he has paved the way and he has made it safe. And so for the Israelites, the path of righteousness went from one side of the shore to the other on dry land. And God can do that with us as well. And he's talking about this exodus and uh, many scholars will look at what he's talking about there in chapter three and taking those woes and the setting right of injustice and idolatry. And instead of it being about the Babylonians and the Southern kingdom at this point in time, they do this bird's eye thing on human history. And they say, Hey, he's talking about Jesus that through the work of Christ, the new exodus, like God will lead his people from bondage into the promised land ahead of them. And so this new exodus, this new, this new movement of God, this is what God, this is what is happening. And what he's just told him is like, Hey, but it's going to be kind of rough going. That's the way that the story is going to go. And if you know anything about history, not long after this, uh, Babylon came in and smoked them. And Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem. Like it happened. Habakkuk does not have like the end of the story. You know the story of Jehoshaphat when they're like, oh, these armies are coming to kill us. What do we do? And they show up for battle and they've all killed each other. You're like, man, that's a great story. It's like, yeah, well, what about Habakkuk though? <laughs> he was like, yeah, uh, God, I don't like what you're doing. And God's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. But it's a part of this bigger global thing, this bigger story that's going forward. And so if God will use Babylon to further the story of Christ, then perhaps God's going to use the 2020 presidential election to further the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus working its way through the earth. You and I might look at that and say, I don't know how that's going to work. And God's like, well, you don't have to. I'm, I'm the architect. Here we go, last thing. Verse 17. Habakkuk has been talking about this new exodus and then he gets to verse 17, which is the most, probably the most known and familiar part of this book. Though the fig tree should not blossom, 
nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my high places. Man, if, even if things get bad or hard or things don't go my way, I'm still going to be fine. Because he says, uh, like he calls him specifically, uh, verse 18, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He's like, my salvation and my strength are found in God, not in the, how productive the fields are being. My strength and my salvation are found in who my God is, not, not how comfortable my life is. And so for us, our strength and our salvation are, are found in, in God, not who wins the election this week, or how the country handles it, or what the economy does next, or what your 401k does, or, or all of the things that are there. I'm not saying those things are like trivial and unimportant and shallow. Like They all carry weight, but there's a part of us that wants them to carry too much weight. I think God is saying like, hey, let's, let's put everything in its right place and know that I'm above all of that because I am your strength. I am your salvation. I'm the unshakable king of the unshakable kingdom. And so no matter what happens, our footing will be sure. That's why he says, it's like my feet like the, like the deer. If you ever watch deer move around, they don't, they don't trip and stumble. They're not like, they're not, a deer's not a klutz. Their footing is so sure, and that's what he's saying, is I, I can navigate my way through this, even if things get uncomfortable and bad. Not because of how awesome I am, but because of who my God is. And I don't know, you don't know, what the next week holds, but I know our church well enough to know that we pretty much cover the political spectrum in terms of preferencing, preferences and voting and, and concepts and all that kind of stuff, and so that probably, uh, no matter what happens in the next week, there'll be some things that you'll like and some things that you won't like. And the country may not handle it well. That's just a fact. Like, we, people don't handle most things well, you know. So it could get weird in the next week. For us, as things happen, and we feel the way that we do about them, and we handle them the way that we do, and, and all that, it cannot be divorced from what we know and believe. But our God. That's how we'll walk the path of righteousness. So Habakkuk, if you think about this, the arc of the book, he goes from being full of angst to rejoicing in who his God is, no matter what happens. And I told the early service this, you know, I said, I don't, I'd be, I will be curious to know, like when I bump into Habakkuk on the new earth, I'm going to ask him. So when Babylon came in and started like, and things actually got bad, and when the, we'll go through and read it, read it to him, you know, when the fig tree stopped blossoming and the fruit wasn't on the vines, you know, like when all those things actually happened, did you rejoice? Like, were you able to maintain that perspective? And that's more of a curiosity thing. But one of the things I love about him is I feel like in this moment, he's just decided, uh, this is how I'm going to live my life. 
I'm not going to be pushed around by the production of my fields. And so the sixth takeaway for me is, or from here is to, to choose how you're going to live. Like choose what this week is going to be like for you. Choose that you're going to live by faith. That you are the righteousness of Christ who's going to live by faith. Make that choice. I will not be bullied by the media. I will not be bullied by my feelings or by my friends or by my family or by who wins and who loses or how everyone reacts to it. I will not be pushed around off of the like what I'm anchored into through this. I won't. You choose it. So let me recap those takeaways real quick and then we're going to sing because... That's what Habakkuk actually, that's why he wrote it. If you look at the very end of it, it says that whole last part of it is actually a song that's meant to be done with an orchestra, like sung with an orchestra. Pretty cool. So we're going to sing, not that, but here are the takeaways. One, you got to talk to God about your angst. Two, God is at work. Three, God is the boss. Four, the righteous shall live by faith. Five, you have to pray in, in line with your faith. Pray prayers that are consistent with what you believe. And six, choose how you're going to live. Like make, make that choice and ask God to empower it. All right, let me pray for us and we're going to sing a little bit together. God, I'm very grateful for, uh, for this prophet and for this little book um, that's tucked away in the Old Testament. And um, I've often wondered sometimes like why those books are there and then something like this happens. And you're like, okay, I see. And Habakkuk learned a, a very important lesson as he prayed and as he went back and forth with you. And you led him from angst into rejoicing and into worship, into a peaceful place. And I'm sure around the room and over the live stream, um, there's probably some who are close to that worshipful, peaceful place. And maybe some who are more like the beginning of Habakkuk, full of angst. And maybe we cover that whole spectrum. God, I ask that you would just lead lead us to the point where you want us to be. Lead us to that place of peace and rejoicing. Lead us to the place where we, we are um, giving the right amount of weight to the election and the response to the election. That we're not undervaluing those or overvaluing those. And would you help us, God, to for all of that to happen underneath the umbrella of what we know to be true about you. You are our salvation, you are our strength. That we can lift our eyes to the hills, but our help doesn't come from the hills. It comes from the Lord who made the hills. We can lift our eyes to many things. But we need all of our focus and all of our heart and all of our... um, our worth and our value and our identity and everything that is important about us to be found in the one, the one place where it's true and where it matters. And so I ask God as we process this story a little bit and as we sing um, that you just move us, move us into the place where we need to be. 
And you know where we each, each of us are as individuals. And I love the fact that you can take one, one story and meet us all where we are. And so as we spend a few minutes in response and worship, I pray uh, that you would help um, firm up and solidify whatever it is you may be stirring within us. We love you, God. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's stand.